there are, are some uh, church traditions, and at my previous church uh, before, uh, before the pastor preaches, uh, they make this proclamation, the Lord be with you, and well, you already know it. <laughs> I thought it was introducing you to something new, so... It's a reminder that uh, at the preaching of the word, that this is not only for you all out there, but it's for me here, and that the Lord is with us. And I'd like to do that again, and for all of us to join in, uh, because I need your reminder today, and the Lord is with me. The Lord be with you. Our God in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, and we thank you that your spirit is alive here, and that you desire to speak to us, that you desire to bring comfort in all of those places in our lives where we are hurting and we're grieving, and in all of those places where we have become cold and apathetic toward you, that you want to challenge us and call us to new life. So, Lord, we pray that today that the teacher of Ecclesiastes would have a good word to us today from your spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask for each of you to turn to the person next to you or to a couple people next to you. And I'm going to throw up a phrase that a lot of us um, will often say in our lives, or that we hear often in our lives. And what I want you to do is, um, I want you to talk with the person next to you, or the couple people next to you, about when you really think about the truth of this phrase, how does it make you feel? Uh, how does it make you respond? What happens inside of you? How do you want to act because of this phrase? Life's too short. So take a couple minutes to talk to the person next to you about this phrase, life's too short. Thank you for, thank you for doing that with me today. You know, as, you, as we go around the room, as the different conversations are taking place around this idea, this phrase that we've heard before, life's too short, no doubt there were many different reactions. For some people, that might cause some fear in them. Uh, for some people, it might be really frustrating. Some people have lots that they want to do, and they just feel like there's just not enough years to do them in, and just life just feels too short. I, I want to accomplish these things. I want to experience these things. I, I want to see my, my kids have kids, and my kids' kids have kids, and my kids' kids' kids have kids. It's just too short. Okay, I, I want to experience all these things, but we can't. Some of you may feel relief. Glad. Maybe in your life, maybe today, maybe in general, you really feel the, the frustration. The frustration and disappointment and grief that comes with this life. And I'm glad this life is too short. 
Some of you, it may make you really want to relish the moment uh, when you really think life is too short to really appreciate this moment that we have today. All of us have some different reactions to this idea of life is too short. We are looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. I would encourage you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. And as you know, we have been uh, going through this series, and we've been talking about how life is hevel. The, the, the Hebrew word for, um, that we, is often translated as vanity or meaningless in our English translations is hevel. And we've been talking about the teacher's evidence that life is hevel. He has observed the world, and he sees the things that are happening. He sees the realities of this world, and this is his evidence that life is hevel. The reality of time, the reality of chance, the reality of evil and suffering. And today we're going to be talking about the reality of death. The reality of death is something that the teacher returns to frequently throughout Ecclesiastes. Uh, it seems to me, as I've been reading and studying Ecclesiastes, that even when the teacher isn't explicitly talking about death, the reality of death always seems to be looming on the edge of his thoughts. It's just right there. It's all informing uh, his thoughts about life. Death really bothers the teacher. And sometimes it just seems that, uh, that, that for him that the death is just kind of this inevitable annoyance that's coming. And other times it really seems to frighten him or even bother him. Death is one of the reasons that the teacher describes life as hevel. Hevel literally means vapor or breath or smoke. And as the teacher has observed life and the reality of death, uh, he sees that life is like vapor. It is like breath. It is like smoke. It is temporary. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. And likewise, life is unmanageable, paradoxical, and out of your control. You can't tell smoke where to go. It goes wherever it wants to go. You can't control it and put it in a box. It goes wherever it wants. Life is hevel because death is unmanageable, paradoxical, and out of our control. Death is real, and the reality of it hurts. All of us have experienced the sting of it, and uh, this is particularly real for me and for our family this weekend. Uh, we, on Friday night, I got a call from my mom who told me that my, my grandmother had been found unconscious by my Uncle Larry. And the ambulance came and took her to the hospital, and, and she didn't make it. She would have been 83 tomorrow. Uh, she lived a fairly long life, um, but the reality of death and the reality of the shortness of life is right in front of my mind today. And I know for all of you, in one way or another, that's true as well. My Grammy was here with us one day, and she was gone the next. All of us know how painful it is to lose someone that we love and the hole that's left there for us. Death really bothers us. That's an understatement. And no doubt, that's why Psalm 23 is one of the most cherished chapters in all of Scripture. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Death does feel like a shadow over us when we face it in our lives, right? It feels like a dark shadow. 
But the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he doesn't give a whole lot of thought about the suffering that each of us experience in the face of death. The teacher leaves that to the psalm writers and to the other books of the Bible. Rather, the book of Ecclesiastes, in a way, is a book of philosophy. The teacher talks about death, and when he talks about death, he seeks to guide our own reflections, not about how we should feel comforted in the face of death because God is real, or or not to to tell us that, um, you know, there's something beyond all of this and to give us hope. Uh, Rather, when the teacher talks about death, he wants us to reflect on our own death. Uh, The teacher just doesn't talk about how people die. He talks about how you die. He wants us to come to terms with the reality of our own death. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. He says this, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is hevel. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. One dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals, the teacher says. Everything is hevel. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 2. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning. It's better to go to a funeral than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The teacher wants us to be very clear, to be very clear, so that we don't fool ourselves about death. There's no escaping it. It's a reality that every one of us will face. And so there are two things that the teacher says to us about death in his book, at least two things. The first is this, that death is the great equalizer. Death is the great equalizer. Both the wise and the foolish will die, Ecclesiastes 2 says. So what is the value of all this wisdom? Uh, He does say, admits that it's better to be wise than to be a fool, but really at the end of the day, because life is so short, the teacher wonders whether it really matters if anyone was wise or foolish at all, because in the end, both the wise and the foolish end up in the same place. He goes on in verses 17 and 18 to say the same thing about accomplishments and success. He says, I've done all of these great things in the world, but you know what? I'm going to die and I'm just going to leave all of my accomplishments, all of my success, all of my money to somebody after me, and that person might be a fool and ruin it all. So, accomplishments, success, does it really matter if all of us are going to the same place? For the teacher, death is the great equalizer. Whether you are good or poor or rich or wise, death is coming. He says this in chapter 9. 
I reflected on all this, and I concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes them all. The hearts of people are full of evil, and there is madness in the heart, their hearts while they live, and afterward they all join the dead. There's good news at the end of every one of these sermons, remember. Just want to remind you of that. The second thing that the teacher says is that we don't know what happens next. That's what he said, right? We don't know. The person and the human being both die. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes up and the spirit of the animal goes down? Who knows? The teacher takes an agnostic stance about life after death. Remember, once again, the teacher is only allowing himself to make observations in light of what happens under the sun. And under the sun, all that he can see is that both animals and humans have the same breath, and that breath is gone at the time of death, and they return to the dust where they came from. The teacher says, what happens after death? From our merely human perspective here under the sun, from only what we can observe with our eyes, the very best that human reason has to offer is, we don't know. A couple years ago, I read a book by a British author named Julian Barnes. Uh, Barnes is an atheist, and he wrote a memoir about his reflections on death. And he titled the book, Nothing to be Frightened of. And Barnes is an atheist, but he's a very, very honest one. I think that most of us, when we think about atheists, we think about uh, people like Richard Dawkins, who are very prideful and arrogant in their unbelief. Uh, Julian Barnes is very humble and questioning and honest in his atheism. He begins his entire book with this line, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And throughout the book, Barnes honestly and painfully expresses his sincere fear of death. He says he thinks about it every single day. And that the reality and finality of all of it can sometimes make him waking up screaming, punching his pillow, Oh no, oh no, oh no. At one point in the book, he points out the irony of the title of his book, Nothing to be Frightened of. That's what some people say about death. There's nothing to be frightened of. You don't have to be scared. But Barnes says that we should slow down that phrase. There's nothing to be frightened of. That's his perspective. There's nothing on the other side of this, and that's worth our fear. Barnes expresses an honest perspective as one who lives his life from the perspective of life under the sun. So what is the teacher's advice? If we're all going to die, and if 
We don't really know what's next from our merely human perspective under the sun. Then what is the teacher's advice? The first comes in chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. We read it earlier. That it's better to go to a funeral than to a feast. Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4. The teacher's advice is pay attention to death and be ready for it. I was called to be a senior pastor at a church when I was 26 years old. And I was in the very unique position of spending a lot more time reflecting on death than I otherwise would have been. Um, in my time as a pastor, I've now led 60 or 70 funerals. And every time I'm at a funeral, I spend a few moments by myself in front of the coffin to pray. And as I pray, I'm certainly praying for the family and the comfort that God would bring to them. I'm praying that God would have mercy on the person who has died. And I also spend some time reminding myself that one day my body will also be in a coffin and that people will be coming by to see me. At least I hope they do. You're all coming, right? <laughs> the teacher, the teacher joins with much of the rest of the scriptures in talking about this. For example, in Psalm 39, it says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breadth. The span of my years is like nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. The Bible is clear that our lives are short like grass, like, grass, like vapor, like hevel. But throughout history, especially over the last century, we're doing a better and better job of keeping people alive, right? Through wisdom and the work of doctors and scientists, we are living longer and for the most part healthier lives than we used to live, which I think we're all going to agree that for the most part that's a really good thing. But despite medical advances, no one has even tried to claim that they've found a cure for death. Such a cure doesn't exist. We may be able to push death back a little bit. We may be able to extend life a little bit, but we can't overcome it. No matter how far we push death back, sooner or later, we're going to die. Now, it's no doubt a God-given gift that living longer is a good thing. It's a good gift that we have. But I want to suggest to you that it also comes with some dangers as well. Because our lives are lasting longer, we can begin to live under the illusion that we can just go on living forever and ever, and it's a little bit harder to remember how fragile life is. The truth, of it, the truth is that most of us spend more time planning our next vacation than we do planning the day that we die and being ready for the day that we die. Those who lived hundreds of years ago were much more ready and willing to talk about death because they knew much better than we do that we simply aren't promised tomorrow. The life expectancy was decades shorter than ours is now and was always much nearer to them than it is to us today. And so many thinkers and philosophers and pastors would teach people to reflect on the reality of death. 
Here's the words from uh, a pastor named Jacobus Coleman. He He wrote a book called The Duties of Parents. The duties of parents, and this is one of the duties of parents according to uh, this pastor, Pastor Coleman. Make known to them that they must daily prepare themselves for their death and to consider their mortality. After all, they, uh, they know that they must die, but not when. Speak with them about the fragility of human life, how it is like a vapor of the field, like Hevel, like a shadow, how swiftly life passes, how few people live to old age. Tell them that they do not know whether they will see the next day so that they may learn to number their days and become wise and to seek to be assured of their salvation. So this is your um, bedtime story for tonight, parents, okay? (laughs) But the experience, oops, the experience of the 17th century led people to more readily reflect on their own death. Their own death was not something they could deny. The fact that our life expectancy today is dozens of years longer than it was 200 years ago. Um, The danger there is that it would make us think that life is less heavy than it really is. Does that make sense? That that it's more permanent, that we can control it more, that it's going to last longer. So the first thing the teacher says to us about life is that we need to face it and be ready for it, to look it in the eye and to know that it is real for each one of us. The second thing that the teacher says to us is that we need to enjoy the precious moments of this life.
You can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? <clears throat> Pretty convinced that Dead Poets Society would be the teacher's favorite movie if you were alive today. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 7 through 10. Go, eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all of your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. This is the teacher's carpe diem passage. And there are quite a few passages like this from the teacher. Uh, he's saying we don't know what happens next. We, we, we don't know how long we will be here. Life is heaven, so enjoy the moment. Eat and drink and enjoy the work that God has given you to do. This life is a gift. It's a precious gift. Don't miss it. Friends, don't miss it. This is good advice from the teacher. It is quickly passing. Sometimes I look back on a day or a week and I think about how I spent my time and I'm filled with such regret. Why didn't I get down on the floor and play with Abe for 10 minutes? Why didn't I sit down and play the piano with Gloria? I was too busy with this or with that to stop and to listen to my wife and to enjoy the gift that she is to me. Life is passing. Enjoy it. Do your work with all of your heart. This is the teacher's advice to us when we turn around and face the reality of the shortness of our lives. And that's good advice from the teacher. Take death seriously, seize the day. That's important advice for us. But it's not complete, is it? It's not complete. It's not the only advice available to us. Because of Jesus, we know that there is even better news. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The better news is resurrection. Last week we talked about how evil and suffering, about evil and suffering, and how Jesus took the evil and suffering of the world upon himself on the cross, and he emptied it. He drained it of all of its power, and he was victorious over evil and suffering. Death, our great enemy. Death, that reality that casts a shadow over our lives. That, that thing that all of us must face and comes to terms with. All of its power has been overcome in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All of the power that it has in your life to make you afraid. All of the power that it has in your life to make you feel hopeless. 
all of the power that it has that would cause you to doubt the goodness and kindness of God, Paul says that because of the resurrection, we have victory over all of those things. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection points to the fact that Jesus has conquered our greatest enemy, the enemy that we have heard today for far too long that all of us must face. But he's been victorious over that. And because of Jesus, there really is nothing to be frightened of. In the book of Revelation, John sees the risen Jesus. He sees the risen Jesus and he bows before him. And Jesus places his right hand on John and he says, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am now alive and I hold the keys of death. Jesus holds the keys of death. The keys of death were hanging inside of Jesus's tomb and he went in there and he got them for us. And he holds them. The teacher says, the teacher says, Ecclesiastes, that life is short and we do not know what's after. And so be ready for your death and enjoy the moment. The gospel says something a little bit different because the perspective of the gospel is not only from the perspective of life under the sun, but life from where? Beyond the sun. And we have news from beyond the sun. And so the gospel says this. The gospel says life is short and we do know what comes after. So be ready and enjoy this moment. Today, you are invited to know the truth about this life and the life after. The Bible tells us that for those who are in Christ, for those of us who place our faith, our trust in him, that we will experience the same resurrection that Jesus experienced. That we will experience a new body and an eternal life forever in the presence of God, our maker who loves us and who knows us and who accepts us in ways that we cannot possibly understand now. The Bible tells us that our God will be so close to us that he will wipe away every tear from our eye. That's how near and dear he will be to us. And we also know for those who reject Christ and his sacrifice for them, they will spend an eternity apart from God. That hell, separation from this good God is real. And it is waiting for those who reject Christ and his goodwill for their lives. So today I invite each of you, if you have never accepted Christ's victory over evil and sin and death in your own life, today is the day that you can do that. Today we have heard that death is real, that it is something that each of us must face. And the good news of Jesus is that there is nothing to be frightened of. That there is hope that Jesus has taken away its sting. He has taken away any ability that it has to have power over us or to make us afraid. And so what the gospel says is that because of the resurrection, we can then, and we should enjoy every moment that we have, but not because of what Dead Poets Society says, 
and not exactly because of what the teacher says, not because life's just too short and we just need to grab as much of it as we can now. That's not the resurrection view. What the resurrection tells us is that all of the good and precious things of this life actually point beyond themselves to eternity. That all of the good things that we enjoy now, marriage and a good meal and friendship, all of those good things of this life are participating in the good life that is to come. The Bible says that they are a foretaste of that resurrected life. I'm sure I've given this illustration before. My dad and I, every Thanksgiving, when we cut the turkey, we're in the kitchen and we're cutting the turkey. And what are we also doing? We're also tasting the turkey. <laughs> so that moment there with my dad in the kitchen, we are having a foretaste of the meal that's coming 10 minutes later. He and I are sharing this little taste of the meal. The whole meal isn't there yet. My mom and my brother and our family and our cousins, they aren't there yet enjoying it with us, but it's a real part of the meal. The greater, bigger, better meal is coming, but that's a real part of it right there. And we're enjoying it, just he and I together. When we enjoy the good things of this life, the resurrection tells us that they are a foretaste, a real enjoyment of the real good life that is coming. Isn't that neat? <laughs> Isn't that great when we have that good meal with friends, that that is a foretaste of the great banquet that's coming? That when we experience marriage, Paul says, I'm not talking about men and women at all. I'm talking about Christ and the church. A good thing like marriage is a pointer beyond itself to something eternal and even better. When we enjoy the good things of this life, they are a foretaste, a real enjoyment, a participation in the good life that is coming. That is the gospel. That is the resurrection view of things. We don't enjoy this moment just to savor all that we can, as if there was nothing beyond it, as if we just had to grab more and more of it because our life is too short. It's too small. We enjoy this moment because it is a gift to us from the future. <laughs> the gospel tells us that the good things that we enjoy are arrows pointing to the resurrected life. They're foretastes of what's coming, and so enjoy them and give thanks for them because they are daily reminders to us of what's coming. Can you live your life in that way? Can you live your life in that way? That those sweet moments with your spouse, those sweet moments with a friend, those sweet moments with your children, those sweet moments on Sunday morning here at Broadway are a little taste of what's coming. This morning, if you want to live your life in that way, this morning, if you want to know that there's nothing to be frightened of when it comes to death, I invite you this morning as we sing this song to come forward and to come and to kneel and to pray. And one of our elders will come and share what that means with you. If in your own life you are a follower of Jesus, but you have not been living in this way, you've been living a hopeless 
life in the face of death, that you have been maybe striving for life, trying to grab as much as you can because you've forgotten that there's more beyond, uh, this is a time for you to confess that to God and to ask that he would fill you and show you the real resurrected life that he has for you. God in heaven, we thank you that you hold the keys of death, that you suffered and that you died, that you went into the tomb and that you grabbed the keys for us and were victorious over death. Lord, I pray that we will be a people of no fear, uh, that we be a people who know what is true about our lives and the life that is to come. And I ask these things in the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.